Welcome to episode 88 of the Way of Improvement Leads Home podcast. As always, we are glad you have joined us. As we record this episode, the teaching of American history in schools is at center stage in our culture. Turn on the television, open your social media apps, or browse the internet, and you're bound to come across an article, a post, or a story arguing what young Americans should be learning in history class and what they should not be learning in history class. Much of the debate centers on race. State legislatures around the country are passing laws prohibiting teachers from using resources such as the 1619 Project or critical race theory that do not offer a positive or patriotic view of the United States or give too much attention to subject matter related to the Black experience or help students come to grips with the history of racism in this country. Moreover, schools across the country are changing their names in the wake of the racial unrest we saw in the summer of 2020. People are actually showing up at their local school board meetings to debate, protest, and point fingers at each other across the political divide. Sometimes beefed up security is even necessary at these meetings. While these debates get ugly, and as I've written before, are too often carried out by participants who are misinformed, it is still good to see the subject of American history front and center in our ongoing conversation about the meaning of American democracy. As the parents yell and scream and pundits on cable news and social media exacerbate this latest battle in the culture wars, we seem to be missing the voices of those who make up an important stakeholder in this controversy. America's history teachers. Today at the Way of Improvement Leads Home podcast, we are going to do our part to change this. For the last eight years, I have spent a week in late July working with Nathan McAllister. Together, we have delivered a summer seminar on colonial America for K through 12 teachers at Princeton University. We are on Zoom this year due to COVID, sponsored by the Gilder Lehrman Institute of American History. I know Nate to be a master teacher whose passion for history education is contagious. He cares deeply for his students and has devoted his summers to sharing his expertise with his fellow history teachers through programs like this yearly seminar. This is probably why he was awarded the Gilder Lehrman Institute of American History National Teacher of the Year in 2010. Nate has spent his career teaching American history in the great state of Kansas. And earlier this summer, he left the classroom after more than two decades of teaching to accept an administrative post as the humanities program manager at the Kansas State Department of Education in Topeka. As I was talking to Nate about coming on the show, I kidded him about jumping from the frying pan and into the fire. Indeed, this is not an easy time to be leading a state's efforts to educate students in the subject of history, let alone a conservative state such as Kansas. But I know that Nate is up to the task. I think you will enjoy our wide ranging conversation about his work and the state of history education in Kansas and of course, by extension, the nation writ large. Nate will be with us shortly, but first, let's take care of some business and let you know how you can support our work. The Way of Improvement Leads Home podcast is a member of the Recorded History Podcast Network. When you get a chance, head over to recordedhistory.net to check out some of our fellow network podcasts. This free podcast is brought to you through the patrons of Current, an online journal of commentary and opinion that provides daily reflection on contemporary culture politics, and ideas. We keep this thing going by your generous financial donations. If you like what you read or hear at Current and want to support our work, and that includes this bi-monthly podcast, our daily opinion features, the Way of Improvement Leads Home blog, and our narrative podcast on the history of evangelicals and politics, head over to currentpub.com and click the red support button or go directly to our Patreon page at Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash the way of improvement. 
The best way to spread the word about the podcast is to tell a friend. You can follow us on Twitter at T-W-O-I-L-H podcast, at John Fia one or at current underscore pub one. And we are on Facebook and Instagram. If you like an episode, give us a share or a retweet and consider a positive review on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Podbean, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Nathan McAllister is the Humanities Program Manager at the Kansas State Department of Education in Topeka, Kansas. Since 1997, he has taught history in Kansas high schools and middle schools. In addition to his classroom work, Nate is a master teacher fellow with the Gilder Lehrman Institute of American History. He has been a fellow as well at the Lowell Milken Center for Unsung Heroes and the Fred W. Smith National Library for the study of George Washington at Mount Vernon. He's also been a curriculum writer for the Kansas Historical Society. In 2018, he was selected Kansas History Day Teacher of the Year. And as we have already mentioned in 2010, he was chosen as the Gilder Lehrman National Teacher of the Year. Our guest today on the program is Kansas history teacher and administrator, Nathan McAllister. Nate, welcome to the Way of Improvement Leads Home podcast. Thank you for having me, John. Glad to be here. So you have invested your life in the teaching of American history. We talked a little bit about your career in the intro and the bio. But tell us a little bit about your journey, you know, in this field. Well, it's interesting. If I go back to the very beginning, even in high school, I wanted to do something with history. And everybody talks about getting to college and university and changing their majors several times. That never happened. I entered in education history and never wavered from that and actually was going for a dual education and history bachelor's degrees and came out with only one of those, but uh, graduated with well over the required amount of history hours that a typical teacher needed. And that was on purpose. I wanted to, wanted to have that experience and immerse myself, as we like to say, uh, a true history nerd uh-huh. Uh, and all things history, and began my teaching career here in Topeka, left for about 13 years to teach middle school in a small community north of Topeka, and then back for the last few years, and then took this position with the Kansas State Department of Education. Yeah. Now, your job at middle school, what was that middle school? Royal Valley, was it? Yeah, Royal Valley Middle School. That's when I first met you. And it was, I remember that was a very rural district. Very. Also right near Native American Indian Reservation, right? Was that, am I getting that correct? Correct. The largest Native American reservation in Kansas, the Prairie Band Potawatomi Reservation, is literally across the highway from where the middle school is. So you can almost walk out the front of the middle school and see the reservation. I um, mean, you know, of course there's some landscaping in the way, but yes. So that was a rural, highly diverse district, which makes it a little bit strange for most of your rural communities in the nation. What percentage of the students do you know just ballpark were from uh, the reservation? Roughly half. Oh, wow. Okay. So you're in the middle of kind of conservative Kansas uh, in a small little rural town on the Great Plains, right? Teaching 
Native Americans in a public school, half Native Americans. Yeah, that must have been some experience. Very, very interesting experience. And yes, Kansas is well, Kansas is a deep red state, has been for, you know, when was the last time that Kansas voted for a Democratic president? Probably FDR. Yeah. And so deep red has been since really its founding, highly Republican state. To be honest, that's and as you know, that's really the history of the state. It's yeah. it's really centered around the Kansas Nebraska Act. Lincoln comes here. And so that tradition, the roots of Republican Party are really entrenched in this state. And yeah. part of that is because of the history and part of that is because of the, the population. But uh, yeah, it's it was an interesting mix in a small rural town, really 200 people in the town. Yeah. Roughly. Highly diverse, highly rural, very strange, um, but wonderful mix of students. So learning from each other, it's, it's, it was always a, an experience with those students because they, unlike some isolated community, they had to talk to each other. They had to right. interact with one another and learn how to navigate those waters. Yeah. So you're teaching in Topeka out of college, right? You're a Kansas State, proud Kansas State graduate. You're teaching in uh, Topeka. What drew you to this community? What were the you know, circumstances that led you then to this little rural community? When I started my teaching career, I knew when I, I had the opportunity to student teach, I wanted to teach in a diverse district. So I started at a inner city school in Topeka, very, very diverse, majority African-American, Hispanic population, and loved it, loved every minute of it. And it's very interesting. We we bought a new house in a town, in part of that community, that rural valley community. And a board member actually called me and said, there's an opening, would you apply? And since we were living in the district and our our two boys were getting ready to start school, I made the, the leap to that district, mainly because of, um, one, it was small, but two, still highly diverse. Yeah. And, you know, you're not teaching this, this very siloed sort of yeah. system. So you get these other voices into, coming into play. Yeah. Now, again, I said that's when I met you eight years ago. In the introduction, I talked a little bit about the Gilder Lehrman seminar that we do. And interestingly enough, as we're recording this, we're doing it. We're in the middle of it right now. <laughs> uh, I'm going to be talking to you. We're recording this at about nine in the morning Eastern time. But in about six hours, we're going to be back together on Zoom uh, with our students. And it's also there that you were selected as the Gilder Lehrman Institute National Teacher of the Year. So how does one become, you know, the thousands and thousands of history teachers in the United States, right? Congratulations again. Um, but how does one become the National Teacher of the Year in this little rural district in Kansas? Well, and thank you very much for the Congratulatory note. Um, again, as you like to point out and embarrass me. Uh, <laughs> you know, when you put it in that perspective, and when you say those words out of the thousands and in this little district, and yeah. it really does highlight the enormity of being selected. And I am exceedingly grateful that I was selected. And it, it was an interesting journey. My students and I had, I was teaching Kansas history at the seventh grade level and U.S. history at the eighth grade level. And my seventh grade students had decided to write a piece of legislation to rename a portion of a highway that went in our backyard as part of the Underground Railroad to acknowledge that history. And it was, it was not an easy task. It was the, the people, and some of the legislators did not agree 
with some of the history behind it. The students had to defend it over and over and over again. And we were presenting, the students and I, at LeCompton, where the, you know, the, one of the constitutions of Kansas, the territorial period, was written. And a professor of history at Washburn University stood up and said, this is what, you know, he said something to the effect of this is what good history teachers should be doing or something like that. And somebody in the audience took that and ran with it and filled out the nomination. And then I, it went to my email and I I thought it was a spam. So I almost (laughs) deleted it. (laughs) But um, I filled out the forms. It was a lot. Holy cow. It's a lot of information. And filled it out and really got the Kansas and was very grateful for that. I You got the Kansas teacher of the year first. Right. right? Yeah. Yeah. You get the Gilder Learning, you get your state one first. And I got that. And I thought, oh, okay, this is fantastic. This is great. I get this. And and people have been following this story in Kansas concerning the legislation. So that was that was very nice. And I was really happy with that. And then it was really uh, very strange, but the time for the announcement rolled around and heard nothing and I heard nothing and I heard nothing. And I thought, well, okay, that's done. Got a one and, in 50 chance, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. One in 50 <laughs> What the hey? So I get a phone call from Gilder Lehrman, and I just happened to be up at the office when it comes in, and they said, "Hey, you have this phone call. Do you want to take it?" And I said, "Yeah." And I figured, you know, it's after the date, so it's the, you know, we're happy that you applied, and yada yada yada. And when I got on the phone, they said, "We're so sorry, we're late, but you're it. You're the winner." <laughs> I couldn't believe it. So, you know, get the news. And it was funny because I had them repeat it. I said, are you sure? Is this, is this right? <laughs> and they said they were so excited. They they loved the fact that the legislation, the students had worked so hard. And even with some of the legislative trickery that happened, um, the students persevered. And the legislation passed. So yeah. Yeah. went to D.C. and met Sandra Day O'Connor and got a private tour of the Supreme Court. And, and if you um, if if you go on, listeners, if you want to type in Nathan McAllister's name, you can see his little speech. It's still up there on the Gilder Lehrman <laughs> website. I just looked it up when I was looking for your bio before I came across it again. So then, like bringing myself into this, I get asked eight years ago to teach a seminar for. For at that point, it was just K through eight teachers on colonial America at Princeton University. And they say, we're going to be assigning you a teacher, a master teacher to kind of organize things and run things and work with the students. So the, the idea is I kind of lecture sort of on content in the morning and in the afternoon, uh, they work with a master teacher to kind of take the content and, and turn it into lessons. So like your, your person's going to be Nathan McAllister. So, you know, I'm curious who this Nathan McAllister guy is. I, uh, I Google his name. This would have been what, 2013, maybe, you know, is it like three years or so after you would one? And I'm like, okay, I'm working with the national teacher of the year. This is going to be great. And, uh, you know, we, I think we've had a good partnership in this endeavor uh, since then. And we've become, uh, we've become friends over the years as a result of this. But every summer, I Nate talked about me embarrassing him. I, when we introduce ourselves to the teachers, you know, I always have to remind them that Nate was the 2010 National Teacher of the Year. He gets huge applause from the teacher. You know, it's a great thing to have on your resume for the rest of your life. It's like a Pulitzer Prize winner, you know, or something like that. So you have left, was I right when I said two decades, 25, I'm guessing I did the math, 24, 25 years in the classroom? 24. 24 years in the classroom. And now you've left the classroom and you have become, you, we, we in academia like to say you crossed over to the dark side, <laughs> but you are now uh, in the state capitol working, Topeka, working as the humanities program manager at the Kansas Department of Education, Kansas State Department of Education. So what do you do? 
what is your, you know, you've been on the job, I think you told me yesterday for three weeks, right? Uh, give me, what is your job description now? You know, what have you taken on here? So, um, yeah, this is also an interesting story. Last year, I was offered the position and declined. I just couldn't leave the classroom. And they filled the position. The person who filled the position left in May to be an administrator with a school district. And they called me back up and said, you know, and I assumed that at this point, they're not going to offer a third time. And so I accepted. And as you said, I've been on the job for three weeks. I'm really, it's, it's almost like a dual role. I am the head of social studies for the state of Kansas. So part of that involves standards, the assessments for HGSS, which is history, government, social studies. And the other part of that is to work with ELA, the English language arts person, world languages and fine arts to see where we can work together to help teachers in the classroom to, in essence, lighten their load, but increase the rigor for students. And so I work closely with the head of ELA, but my first role is history, government, social studies, and to make sure that one, our standards are where we want them to be and where our assessment needs to be and go out and work with teachers. So I've been on the road. Actually, my first day was July 6th. The very next day I was presenting on our new state assessment. And so I've been out on the road for quite a bit of this and then working, taking calls, working with schools, yeah. talking to teachers. Those are, those are my primary roles, but, uh, you mentioned so, the Kansas history standards, social studies standards. What role do you play in shaping those in, you know, and I guess what role do you play with the state legislature in kind of, or do you, in kind of working all of that out in terms of what Kansas history students should and will be learning? You do have to work with the legislature in yeah. Kansas. Um, they have to approve. Right. Said standards. So part of my job will be and continues to be um, to. One, write those standards um, with teachers and administrators across the state of Kansas right. um, and then review those from time to time. We have to go through a review process every so often. And again, you call in teachers, you call in administrators, parent groups to see if the standards are where we want them to be. Currently, the Kansas standards, we only have five. Mm. The open-ended choices have consequences is one of our standards. And then within that standard are four benchmarks. And the fourth benchmark is really the level we want our students to get to, where students are advancing a claim um, using argument and evidence to tackle a difficult question. So you're, if I can interrupt, your standards then are not, like I'm thinking of the Pennsylvania standards, right? Which are these long lists of subject matter, right? You know, you need to teach about, you know, this and this person and that person and this movement and that movement. And you have to cover this era and that era. Are you saying Kansas does not have that? Correct. So back in, oh, I want to go back to 2012. We made the conscious decision in Kansas, and I was on this committee to direct our teachers and students away from a more prescriptive standards document mm -hmm. to something where teachers have more flexibility, students have flexibility to then operate within the scope and sequence. They still have that. Yeah. Teachers still have the scope and sequence that they have to follow. What does that mean, scope and sequence? So. The scope of their teaching. So, for instance, a middle school eighth grade teacher is expected to teach U.S. history, but only cover essentially the 1800s. OK, so it's a very, you know, it's a fairly small window. Yeah. Um, so they, they follow that scope and sequence. And then, you know, we have eighth grade teaching U.S. history in the 1800s, but then the high school would then teach uh, 1900s to present. 
so the the scope is is a is a is a chronological period correct but you don't prescribe what those teachers need to teach in that chronological period you don't break it down more than that correct now we do have amazing that's nothing like what we hear in the press and the way things are being debated in other states are there other states who do it this way yes um there are a few maine would probably be the it's even more open than ours maine really has nothing other than a scope and sequence, there is no standards document necessarily. There is, but the, it's not quite as ours would be pr- more prescriptive than Maine. Yeah. Maine is just you have this, you teach this, and go ahead. Now we do have within an appendix, we have suggestions and sample compelling questions that teachers can use to drive some of that content. But you're right, there is no no listing of this person, that event, because the problem is, and this is, and I truly believe this, when you start listing out those pieces, where do you stop? At what point do you say, this has to go in and this has to go out? Because there's only so much time in a school year. And that's, that's why we got away from that. So Kansas is not maybe to the degree of, of some other states, having these debates like Texas, for example, that who's in and who's out. You know, we replace this person with that person, right? What are the, can you just, can you just name the, what'd you say, five? Mm-hmm. Actually, so you have a chronological period. And yeah. then within that chronological period, say the 1800s, you have to do five things. You have to deliver mm-hmm. five five things. What are those five? Like, what are the titles of those five? So standard number one is what I told you earlier. Choices have consequences. Standard number two, individuals have rights and responsibilities. Um, Number three, societies are shaped by the identities, beliefs, and practices of individuals and groups. Standard number four, societies experience continuity and change over time. Mm -hmm. One of the C's of history. And standard number five, relationships among people, places, ideas, and environments are dynamic. Wow. I mean, so in other words, history teachers in Kansas have a certain degree of agency and power to be able to shape their classrooms the way they want to shape their classrooms without having to jump through all of these kinds of, before we talked, before we got on, we were talking about trivial pursuit kind of approach to history, right? They can shape shape their classrooms as long as they're hitting these points in kind of any way that they want. Correct. Correct. And I would argue that students have that agency as well. Yeah. Now you um, you are rolling out, uh, or maybe not rolling out, but part of your job is to speak to school districts about how to assess all this, right? You know, assessment kind of best practices about, you know, how to teach in the classroom. You're working with school districts on all of these things. You know, what do you, what is your central message when you go into a school district and work with say the history teachers or the social studies teachers more broadly in those districts about kind of best practices, assessment, you know, where, where are you or where do you see yourself? Uh, or maybe you're part of a larger pattern here and you're just sort of taking over from people who've gone before you. Where do you see yourself kind of trying to move history teachers in Kansas in their sort of pedagogy? As simply as I can, I would put, and I have put this to teachers, we want the students of Kansas to go or to transition from mere students of history to student historians. Yeah, We want them practicing the skills of the historian. We don't, we're not saying that students are going to be historians, yeah. but we want them to use those skills, to apply those skills to tackle complex and compelling questions, advance thesis and claim, use evidence and argumentation to then put forward a document, a product that you and I may or may not agree with, but they have 
in essence, what a historian does, back that they made that claim, backed it up with evidence and put forward that product. That's that's in essence what we want our students to do. We want them to start using and applying these skills rather than regurgitating facts that are you can just you Google. And I know you're a, a fan of Sam Weinberg and you've mentioned this in the past, but and and Sam says something to the effect of if you can Google it, then why are we worrying about teaching it? And let's dig deeper. Yeah, yeah. So you're moving, you're trying to get, you know, as any, I think as any good history teacher would say, I mean, right, you know, history teachers know this. You're not telling, you know, most well-trained history teachers, at least, um, would not, you know, would, would just be saying, of course, to what you just said. But there's, first of all, there's not, there's a lot of history teachers that are not well-trained, number one. And then number two, there are, um, most of the general public still conceives of a history education as just kind of regurgitating facts about the past, right? And um, you know, I think I think I think you would agree with me, Nate. Right? This kind of approach is much more conducive to creating, you know, kind of citizens, democratic citizens, right? Who uh, who can think critically about what they read, who can evaluate evidence. I mean, we need history perhaps more than ever, right? And despite, you know, all the, you know, maybe we'll get into this later. So all those sort of controversies around what's being taught in the classroom these days, more than ever, we need the historical thinking skills that will produce good Kansans and good Americans, right? I, I agree. And, you know, it's one of the, it's funny. One of the things behind me on the board is, is producing good citizens for a culturally diverse democratic society yeah. in an interdependent world. That's our mission. That's our goal. It seems so often that this idea of citizenship, though, is often framed by like, you know, this kind of idea that a good citizen, you know, understands like that there's three branches of government or they understand what impeachment is or whatever. And that's true, right? That's a building block. That's a starting point, right? But citizenship is not just a mastery of a certain amount of content, right? Citizenship is a kind of practice, a way of thinking about others, about the world, about evidence about right all of these things and i think you know i'm preaching to the choir here right you know we both are pretty much in agreement on this but i think that history offers those kinds of democratic skills in a way that very few disciplines do i agree truly social studies teachers history teachers those government teachers as you said, that our vast majority of teachers are doing the good work of what we've talked about, of creating these citizens who will then be more interactive or yeah. engaging in their in their democracy. And those teachers are the backbone of our democracy. Yeah, yeah. They should Truly. be paid a lot more too, shouldn't they? Oh my goodness, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So Nate, um, obviously, you know, some of the some of the I think this, what we're talking about right now, to me, is the most pressing issue in history education in the United States. You can agree or disagree with me. I'm not going to put you on the spot, but I think this is the most important thing. Now, some might say, wait, wait a minute, wait, what about? This is not what I hear about when I read the news or, you know, what's going on with history education. But I think teaching kids how to think historically is, is at the heart of this. But, you know, in Kansas or, you know, you travel around the country with Gilder Lehrman, meet, meet with teachers, um, you know, but, but specifically, you know, you know Kansas well, so feel free to speak just to that. But what are, what are in addition to this kind of, you know, trivial pursuit approach to history versus this historical thinking approach, which is a big issue. What are some of the other kind of really pressing issues right now that you see in um, history education or sort of pressing issues that are facing 
your average classroom teacher say in a public school these days? Honestly, I think there are three big ones, um, two, two fairly public. And then one very, very quiet. Nobody talks about it openly. It happens in, in schools and departments, sometimes rather loudly and angrily. That one, and I'll just touch on it briefly, is this quiet debate amongst teachers and administrators um, on content and this, this idea of coverage mm-hmm. versus skills and where's that balance. And you know, it's one that's not in the press. It's not there. It's, it's happening in your schools and it's, it's heated and um, it really, it, it, it's one that um, is going to boil over at some point in time, but it, it's going to be there. And it, it really gets to the heart of what we're going to be doing as teachers. Mm-hmm. Are we going to be producing these great citizens that understand how to engage and apply these skills or with the content, don't get me wrong, or is it simply going to be going back to that? They just need content and just throw it at them and then they regurgitate it back to me. That's where this whole, you know, debate you see, you know, Kansas doesn't seem to have this problem then to at least to the degree that I read in the newspaper or the web or whatever that say like Texas or these other states. Right. So if you are if you are suggesting that these historical thinking skills are essential then that kind of makes these debates about, you know, they got rid of George Washington or they got rid of Thurgood Marshall or they got, you know, these kinds of debates then are, they're certainly important, right? Because you want a diversity of voices within mm-hmm. here. That's, that's part of historical empathy, right? Listening to voices that are different. But it also sort of makes those debates kind of less important in terms of, you know, everything is not on the line, you know, about, you know, who's in and who's out, right? Is that kind of what you're getting? Yeah, no, yeah absolutely. Um, and you mentioned Texas. I've been to Texas several times working with teachers. Um, I worked with one school district for over a year trying to build historical literacy, discipline literacy, while at the same time trying to work within their very prescriptive standards. Yeah. And that's not easy. That's not easy. And that's where that debate comes in. Where's that balance? Um, and we, you're right. We don't have that in Kansas because we don't have the, we have the standards that allow for that, as you said, agency um, of both the teacher and the students. And then we're asking them to apply those skills. So we don't have that debate. Certainly so one. often these debates, I'm interested in hearing the other two here. I'm eager to hear what you say, but you know, I said at the beginning of this episode, you weren't, you weren't on yet, you know, about how so often in all these debates that we're hearing about what students should be learning in the history classroom, like no one's talking to teachers. Yeah. You see every now and then a teacher's union will defend this or that. Right. But, um, all of these people are making choices and decisions who have never been in a classroom. You know, it's, it's, yeah, anyway, I, I don't want to get off on it. No, and, and I think that's the, the beauty of what happens here in Kansas because the legislature does say, you know, they have to approve what happens. But at the same time, they have allowed teachers to really drive the standards and the assessment creation here in Kansas, which is really an exceptionality to what happens across the nation. Too many that's times... Amazing. Yeah, it's it's very, very forward thinking. And you have to give credit to our our legislature for um, putting this forward and saying teachers will need to be the leaders. It kind of flips the kind of what's the matter of Kansas on its head. It's like, what's the the rest of the country? (laughs) (laughs) Some some of you are familiar with that. What's the matter of Kansas? What's the matter with Kansas book by Thomas Frank back in, I think it was 2004. He published that anyway. So what are some of the other, you said there were two other pressing issues. Well, and more, these I think are more national. Yeah. Um, and you see these more in the news. I mean, this this is, you can hear it on the TV, any one of the news stations, and you will probably catch a glimpse of this somewhere. And those are 
obviously, um, how do we tackle race in the classroom and then politics in the classroom? Yeah. And those are those are difficult. They're also necessary as far as uh, tackling race in the classroom and how do we how do we give uh, voice to those students um, who are sitting in our classrooms who don't look like you or I and have them feel as though they're 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 being heard and that they're seeing history a balanced approach to history and so I think that's that's a difficult one that's one that the standards, as we mentioned, as, as try to tackle, but so often we get into these listing games and then it becomes a fight uh, about who do we leave out, who do we put in, and then we lose. And at that point, in my opinion, this is Nathan McAllister, we then lose the the whole point of trying to um, address the very issues of voice in the classroom yeah, yeah. and that balanced approach when we start to getting these listing wars. Now, let me follow up with that. Now, you know, so far in this conversation, I've been kind of, you know, saying amen to um, the kind of freedoms and liberties that teachers have, right? You know, there's a flip side to this too, right? I mean, you know, Sometimes standards where you say you need to talk about slavery or you need to talk about the civil rights movement, right, do at least get students exposed to certain things that this kind of free curriculum, you know, it it would be easy for someone who does not want to talk about those things or wants to limit their discussion of those things. It would be easy for them to say, I'm not going to do that and I'm going to spend all my time talking about. George Washington or, you know, something like that. Um, how would you respond to that critique of the Kansas system? Oh, and certainly it's, it's been there. Um, yeah. My response to that would be there are an exceptionally low number of teachers. And then we mentioned this before, a vast majority of your teachers are good history teachers in the classroom. There, there is always going to be exceptions to that. And that goes, it doesn't matter what school district you're in, in what state you're in. Teachers are going to do the right thing 99.9% of the time. There are going to be exceptions, as I said just a second ago. However, when those exceptions come up, there's always most of those people that, as you said, may feel uncomfortable or whatever it may be about talking about certain difficult issues and teaching the hard history, as we call it, typically fall on their textbook for guidance. And vast majority of our textbooks are going to give some voice to that. Is it always, is it going to be perfect? Absolutely not. There's never going to be a perfect system. We could find the holes in every standards document in every state. But truly, without a, with very little doubt in my heart, most of the teachers in, in Kansas, most of the teachers in Texas, Missouri, wherever it may be, are going to do those things that are going to give our students a good history education, while at the same time fostering those democratic principles. So you are going to, you, your philosophy is you are going in Kansas at least, and maybe you too, Nate, you are going to err on the side of the teacher rather than err on the side of the state legislature or the, or the trivial pursuit approach, right? If you're going to, if you're going to bet on someone, you're going to bet on the teacher. Correct. Correct. And, and, and call it a a leap of faith, but uh, Yeah, I have faith. Well, it's also in, a leap of faith when you elect these guys to, you know, these well, men yeah. women to, uh, you know, you don't know what they're going to do in the state house either, right? But yeah, 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 yeah. you you'd rather take the other leap of faith. You know, I'm with you on that. So uh, this just prompted one more quick question. I know you're you're on your way to another meeting, but just short answers, right? What role do you play then in your new position here, your position um, in choosing those textbooks? Or do you have a say in the textbooks? And 
Uh, do you have any role to play in the way history students are educated in Kansas colleges and university history, history, future history teachers, I should say, are educated in Kansas schools? Because it seems like your bet, if you will, on the teacher requires really good teacher ed programs, right? Correct. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So that first question concerning the textbooks and the curricula within each district. Uh, Kansas is a local, local control state. So honestly, I cannot yeah. advocate for any particular curriculum okay. by any district. Um, the only, really the only, I mean, I have my cheerleading outfit that I can go out and yeah, say, yeah. please do this. And you have your pulpit now. You yeah. Have your holy pulpit. yeah. <laughs> and, if, and of course, there's the state assessment. I mean, there's that piece that comes yeah. into play and how it's tested and how we assess. As to the other question, that's an interesting one that you bring that up today, because just yesterday I was asked to be on the higher ed education standards committee. Yeah. And that again, in Kansas, teachers work with the university professionals to set those standards. So they're asking those teachers in the field, what do the teachers coming into the field need? Sometimes you don't see this in the news, but Kansas really is doing what I believe, doing things the right way when it comes to creating good history teachers. Yeah, this has been good news in light of all that we have been seeing in the news about some of these school districts and debates and the fights that are going on. It's good to hear that Kansas is taking a somewhat different approach to these kinds of things that I think should be a model for other, other states as well. We have been talking with, today with Nathan McAllister. He is the Humanities Program Manager at the Kansas State Department of Education in Topeka and a veteran history teacher in the state, American history teacher in the state of Kansas. And this has been really interesting and informative, Nate. Thanks so much for taking the time to come on in your busy administrative dark side schedule uh, that you now uh, that you now have uh, there in the uh, corridors of Kansas Power in Topeka. <laughs> so, <laughs> thanks so much. Thank you. And hey, you know, it's interesting you mentioned the dark side, but you're in this kind of historical lair. It's almost like the <laughs> The Bat Cave. Yeah. Now, just so you know, like these, this is just audio, so people can't aren't going to see the Bat Cave. But anyone who anyone who has seen me in other things uh, know know the Bat Cave, and it became a Bat Cave during COVID because all my books and everything sort of I had to transfer them here, and uh, it's a fun little space that I have down here in my basement. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway, thanks, Nate. Thank you very much. Have a good day, John. You too. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Nate McAllister. You know, you talk to somebody like Nate and you just get a really different picture of these so-called history wars than you do when you listen to cable news or read the internet or social media and so forth. Uh, just a very kind of apolitical uh, approach. I mean, Nate is serious about cultivating democratic citizens and using the study of history to do that. You know, in Kansas, I must, you know, I have no reason to believe that Nate wasn't giving an honest portrayal of what's happening in Kansas. I mean, what's happening in Kansas needs to happen in every other state in the union. I mean, this is such a, a refreshing approach 
uh, to teaching history in the classroom. Again, I, as I said to Nate, I leave this conversation encouraged about what's going on on the ground, about the things you don't hear about from the people who are screaming on social media and on the news channels. And I leave hopeful, I think, about the state of history education. And, and I hope that there will be educational leaders, history educators who have some degree of power or platform in other states uh, who will get a hold of Nate McAllister and find out what they are doing in Kansas because it's it seems like it's a model state for thinking about history education. So I hope you enjoyed this again. Again, it was great chatting with Nate McAllister. Hope you will continue to support our work uh, at Current and here at the Way of Improvement Leads Home and the Way of Improvement Leads Home podcast. Please, uh, if you have you know the inclination, uh, head over to the website, click support. Um, we could use all the help we could get as we move forward and try to keep this project going. So again, thanks for listening. And until we talk again, may your way of improvement always lead home. The Way of Improvement Leads Home podcast is recorded via Zoom. Original music is by Overholt. The co-founder of the podcast, who is now off doing bigger and better things, is Drew Durley Hermelin. Our producer out of Nashville is Casey Lehman, and I am your host, John Fiat.